Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Second Peter. If you remember before the Christmas holidays, New Year holidays, we had, I did a series of sermons, I think it was 16 parts on First Peter, entitled Timeless Truths in Troubling Times. And we looked at that passage, and we looked at First Peter, and we saw how Peter was writing to a group of believers who were going through some difficult times. They were being persecuted, and the persecution was real. They were being persecuted for the faith. Many of them were, being, uh, were, were actually losing their lives as a result of their faith in Jesus Christ. So now we come to Second Peter, and, and Peter changes his tune a little bit. Instead of talking about how to deal with those who are persecuting you, he, he wants to tell us how to stand firm in our faith. And so we're going to be looking at the second Peter under the heading, Standing Firm in Our Faith. And what we discover as we go through second Peter, we see that there were counterfeit teachings and there were counterfeit teachers during the time of Peter. So Peter said in his last will and testament, as he writes this last letter, he says, I want to remind you about this faith. I want you to make sure that your faith is well grounded. So he wants them to stand firm in what they believe. Now, typically, whenever you want to uh, stand firm in something and know what's real, to count, you've got to determine what's real in order to combat the counterfeits, in order to contest those individuals out there that may have a fake salvation, a fake gospel, a fake foundation. I, I read somewhere that FBI, but really, uh, I think it's more Secret Service because they, they deal more with the, this kind of stuff, but that in order for them to become familiar with counterfeit money, they familiarize them with real money. In other words, they surround them with real dollars, real uh, hundreds, fifties, tens, all that, and they become to know everything about it. That way they would know the real from the counterfeit. It's the same way with us. If we're going to know what a, what a counterfeit gospel is, if we're going to know what a counterfeit faith is, what a counterfeit teacher is, we've got to know what is the real thing. What is our genuine faith? What is our real faith? So we're going to be looking at chapters 1, verses 1 through 4, under the heading, the foundation of our faith. Remember, all this is about standing firm in our faith. If we're going to stand firm in it, we've got to know what the foundation is first. Notice what Peter writes. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. The first thing I want you to see is that our faith is built on a divine person. Our faith is built upon a divine person. Look at verse 1. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. When he talks about the righteousness of God, of our God, he's talking about that we are saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive the righteousness of God. We receive this righteousness through Jesus Christ, through faith 
in a divine person. Our faith rests upon a divine person. How does that happen? Look at verse 2. He says it's done through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He's saying we build this foundation upon a divine person. It's experienced through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now there's two primary words that Peter could have used when talking about knowledge. The first word he could have used is what we would call informational knowledge. This is just information you, you gain from a source. Uh, you could, this would be information you get on Google, or you could ask Alexa if you wanted to. Alexa, what does this mean? That's general information, general knowledge. But the word he uses here is a different word. It's a word used for knowledge that means experiential knowledge. It's knowledge you gain from experience. In other words, it's a relational uh, uh, knowledge. For instance, I know a lot about Donald Trump. You've all heard of him, Donald Trump? Y'all heard of him? Okay. Just want to make, I've heard a lot about Donald Trump. I read a lot about Donald Trump. I hear a lot of things on the news about Donald Trump, good and bad. Uh, I have some friends that they think they're experts on Donald Trump, so they share a lot of information with me. Uh, I know a lot about Donald Trump, but I don't know Donald Trump. Uh, I don't know him. However, I do know my wife, Gabby. I have intimate, personal details about her. I know her. I have a relationship with her. That's what Peter is talking about in this passage. He's saying that you, you know God, you know God because you have a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Our saving faith is built upon a divine person, Jesus Christ. It, it's more than just knowing about someone. It's knowing them in an intimate way. There are a lot of people who know about Jesus. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if you in this room, you know something about Jesus. You've heard about him. You know about him. But let me ask you a question. Have you had a personal experience with Jesus? Have you had a personal, intimate knowledge of Jesus? You see, our faith rests upon a divine person. I want you to notice something about this salvation that we have. Notice first that our salvation is fair. Look at verse 1 in this passage. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Here's what he's saying. Salvation is available to all people. Regardless of who you are, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what you've done, Regardless of your background, regardless of your status, regardless of your socioeconomic group, regardless of your ethnicity, he's, he is saying that salvation is available to all people. Now, this was radical news in the day of the New Testament because the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, had a great amount of pride is that we're children of Abraham. So therefore, because we're children of Abraham, we have it better than everyone else. But Peter is coming in and saying, no. The child, Gentiles are saved the exact same way as the children, children, of, uh, children of Abraham. We all come to faith in the same way that we come to faith. It's the same way today. Salvation is available to all people. Did you know that Muslims come to faith or saved the same way as Baptists? Did you know that? Did you know that Hindus are saved the same way as Methodists? Did you know that atheists are saved the same way as Lutherans? 
did, did you know that, that, that the poor people are saved the same way as rich people? Did you know that uneducated people are saved the same way as educated people? Did, did you know that a black person is saved the same as a white person? And a brown person is saved the same way as a, a yellow person? Do you know that an undocumented, illegal alien is saved the same way as a documented, legal alien? They are all saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of them is saved the same way. There is no salvation in the Baptist church. There is no salvation in the Methodist church. There is no salvation in the Lutheran church. There's only salvation in Jesus, period. Everybody comes to faith the same way. The same way. They come to faith. They come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. He says it's fair. The salvation that God offers, it's fair because everybody comes the exact same way. So it's not only to say our salvation is fair, but notice the greatness of our salvation. Look at verse 2. He said, grace and peace be yours through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He says grace. He said grace comes into our life through salvation. What does grace mean? Grace means that we have a problem with God. The Bible describes it as that we are running from God. We are in rebellion to God. We have displeased God. We have disobeyed His holy law. We are running from God to get away from His holy requirements, to get away from any accountability. But guess what? The Bible says God is pursuing us. He's chasing us. He's running after us. I remember when I was a young teenager, I was driving around in hostile territory. What I mean by that is I went to Irving High School, and I was driving around in the area of MacArthur High School. You know, I probably had an Irving Tigers bumper sticker on my car or something. But I was driving around with my best friend, and all of a sudden, four guys in another car uh, decided they wanted to get to know me uh, a, little, a little bit. Uh, so they began pursuing me uh, through the, uh, the city of Irving. Uh, and we had a high-speed chase at 35 miles an hour, you know, because I would never break the law. Uh, uh, so uh, they began chasing us uh, through, uh, through the city. I don't know what they wanted, you know. I, maybe they just wanted to give me some advice. Uh, I assumed uh, they weren't trying to be my friend. Uh, so uh, we were, but they, wherever we went, they were in hot pursuit of us. Finally, I was able to, to back into, I was able to, turn left into into street, and then turn left real quick, another street, and left into a parking lot, and I hid in the cars in the apartment complex, and they lost us. They lost us. In the same way, God is in hot pursuit for you, but He's not coming to bestow wrath upon you. He's coming to show grace. You are running from God. You are doing your best to get away from Him, but I want you to know God is pursuing you. He's chasing you. Why? Because of grace. Grace. He wants to bestow grace upon you. But not only does it say he wants to give us grace, it also says he wants to give us peace. Why do we need peace? Because the Bible says at one time we were enemies of God. But he wants us to be in a relationship with him. That word peace literally means to, to uh, put things back together to put things back like it was. Here's the thing. The shattered pieces of your life that have been caused by sin, 
the, 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 the wounds and the scars that you have because of sin and the evil that has been in your life, God can put it back together. God can put your heart back together. Our faith is built on a divine person who loves us and he cares for us and he gives us grace and he gives us peace. So it's built on a divine person. Our faith is also built on a divine power. Look at verse 3. His divine power, you see why I get this, don't you? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Let's stop right there. He says he's given us everything we need. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you everything you need to live life and to be godly. He gives you everything you need. Jesus put it this way in John 10, 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Look at it this way. When a little baby is born, now look, there's always exceptions to the rule when we try to explain this, okay? But when a little baby is born, that little baby, genetically, DNA, has everything it needs to live life. Now, it's not going to live life out there on its own. It needs some nourishment and stuff like that. But everything that baby needs to live life is in, within it. It's the same way in our spiritual life. When you become a child of God, God puts within you everything you need to live life and to live godly. He gives you everything you need according to this passage. Now, the order is significant. Notice the order. He gives you everything you need. What? To need for life and godliness. The order is important. You cannot have a Christian life until you have a Christian experience. You can't live for Jesus if you don't know Jesus. So he's given you everything you need for life and to live the godly life. He says for life and godliness. How do you get that? He says you get that, what? Through the knowledge of of him. We get that through our knowledge of who? Of Jesus. In other words, everything we need to live life and to live godly, we get through Jesus. It all comes in him. I read about an individual who uh, took a cruise. Let's call him Frank. Can we call him Frank? Frank took a cruise. And he went on a cruise, and uh, about, about at the end of the cruise, he finally came and, and found one of the crew members and says, can you help me? Can you help me? I, I, I'm really, I, I'm starving to death. Can you give me something to eat? And the, the crew member said, well, are you, are you on this cruise, on this ship? He goes, yes, I'm on this ship. He said, did you buy a ticket? Yes, I bought a ticket. He said, he said but, but you know, I got here and I've really enjoyed everything on the cruise, but I've been sleeping under the stairs at night. And, you know, and, and, and I, I brought some cheese and crackers, but, I, but I've eaten all the cheese and crackers and I'm, I'm starving. I'm hungry. Can you help me? And the crew member says, says, don't you understand that when you bought the ticket, everything comes with it. You have a cabin you have a bed that you can sleep in. You can have three, five, seven, twelve meals a day. It's all included in the price of the ticket. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Folks, when you come to Jesus, you get everything that goes with him. Everything. He gives you everything you need to live life to the fullest. Our faith rests upon this divine power 
Everything we need to live the Christian life is in Jesus. Now, next week I'm going to talk to you about how to build up your faith, how to be sure that you're sure. I'm going to talk to you about that. But he calls you into relationship with him. He calls you in relationship with Jesus. He says, through the knowledge of him, that's personal experience, through the personal experience you have with Jesus, what? Who calls us by his own glory and goodness. We get this word calls. He calls. The Bible talks about calling in, in many different ways. The Bible talks about a general calling that God has. Whosoever will, may come. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a general calling that God administers. You know, I often will give an invitation after a sermon. During that invitation, it's a general calling that God has given for people to be saved, for people to respond. That's what we call a general calling that God issues to everybody, and it's a continual. He's constantly calling all the time, all the time. You may not know it right now. God's calling you right now. He's calling you. But then the Bible also talks about a specific call. It talks about called individuals. Those individuals who have responded to the call. It's a special call. Those individuals who answer the invitation become those who have responded to the holy calling. He says that he called them by his own glory, by his own goodness. Now, I recognize this is a flawed illustration. It's kind of like explaining the Trinity. You can't really do it. It just, it's just one of those things we can't explain. But let me see if I can explain this idea about the, the general calling and the specific call. Let's suppose that I call you on my phone. I call your phone. I have your number or something like that, and you don't think me a telemarketer, okay? I call you. I am in the process of calling you. And I keep calling you. 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 But until you answer the call, you can't be the one I called. You see, calling is a present tense. It's something I'm presently doing. I'm doing it now, and it's touching the future. But once you, hello, yes, this is so-and-so. You have now received the call. If you respond to it, then you become, I called him yesterday. I called him. Why? Because you responded to the calling in that way. This is the... A, a very simple way that we can explain that, what he's talking about here, because I'm a very simple person. And I want to make sure that we understand what he's saying. The Bible says we have everything we need in Christ Jesus who calls us to be in a relationship with him. It's all available in Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Are you living up to your potential? Are you growing in your faith with Jesus Christ. I watched the football game last night. Not all of it. I watched maybe, you know, part of third, fourth quarter. Uh, a couple teams played last night. Doesn't matter who they are. But I was watching them. And I was amazed at the incredible athletes. These are incredible athletes. They're big. They're strong. They're fast. Uh, incredible athletes. And they've developed their craft over lots of years. But it made me think about all these people that, you know, they were drafted or they got on a pro team. They had all the talent. They had all the skill. They had, they had the size. They had the speed. But they didn't make it. I mean, they were fine physical specimens. They had everything going for them, but they didn't make it. Maybe they were lazy. 
Maybe they were relying on their past experiences. Maybe they thought because of their name, they didn't have to do anything. But for whatever reason, they didn't make the team. They never got to play. They had the potential, but they didn't live up to their potential. And oftentimes, I look at brothers and sisters in the Lord and ask, are they living up to their potential? Are they living up to the God-given potential that lies within them? According to Peter, we have the ability to live a godly life. We have the ability to be all that God wants us to be. We can be fruitful and we can be productive, but we've got to live up to the potential that God has placed within us. So our faith is built on a divine person, is built on a divine power. Finally, our faith is built on a divine promise. Look at verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. We'll stop right there. This is one of the great verses in the Bible. What is a promise? What is a promise? A promise is something that someone is going to do for you. Uh, the value of a promise is based on who makes the promise. Uh, here we say that the promise from God is like a check. God's going to give you a check for whatever you need. Uh, let me ask you a question. What would it take for you to, what is it you need today? I mean, how about a million dollars? How many, how many like a million dollars? Okay. Would that get you out of debt? For, uh, get, uh, I always say if I had a million dollars, I'd pay my debt as far as it would go. Uh, a million dollars. So let's say you get a million dollars. So tomorrow morning, Monday morning, or Monday afternoon when your mailman comes, you open it up and there's a check in there for a million dollars addressed to you. A million dollars. It looks real. It looks good. You know what the first thing you're going to do? You're going to look at who signed the check. That's the first thing you're going to do. And if it says on the bottom of Bruce Worley, you are in a world of hurt. <laughs> you are in a lot of trouble, okay? But if the bottom of that check says Bill Gates or the Gates Foundation, you know what you're going to do? Uh, you're probably going to flip it over, you're going to endorse it, and you're going to put it in your bank. That's probably not going to happen, okay? Uh, that's what you're going to do. Why? Because the value of the check depends upon who signs the check. It's the same way. The Bible is telling us that we have all these promises that God has given us, and they're signed by God in Jesus Christ. He says, I'm giving you all these promises. Whatever you need, whatever problem you're going through in life, whatever difficulty you may be facing, whatever battle you're going through, a check comes in in Jesus. He says, all the promises for life are in Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying he's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. If, he was, if it was about making you healthy, wealthy, and wise, we've all missed the boat. Because you know, at least I know I did. Some of you might think you're healthy, wealthy, wise. You know, we, we missed the boat. That's not what he's talking about here. What he's, what he's talking about is the promises of salvation. Look at what he says. He says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. That is, these promises that have to do with salvation. So that, so that, there's the reason. So that through them... 
you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He's talking about this corruption. He promises an escape from this, this corruption that we have. That word means moral decay. It means rottenness. It means a decomposing. Literally, it's talked about elsewhere in classical Greek of a decomposing body, a decaying body. The Bible talks about it. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 14, 42-44. He says, the body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Think about this world in which we live. Everybody tells us the world is decaying. The, the world is rotting. The, the world is not as it used to be. We know that. Why? Because of sin. Sin entered into the world and it contaminated, it destroyed, and the, the world in which we know is rotting, is decaying, is decomposing. It's not the way God intended it to be. Now, people think they can save it. People think, oh, we can save the will. You can't circumvent the will of God. You can't do it. God's plan is going to work in His timetable. The whole Bible says that all of creation is groaning in anticipation for the day that it will be restored. And just like the world is decaying, these bodies that we have, we are, they're decaying, they are decomposing, they are dying. But look at the promise. Peter says, because of the salvation that we have, we can escape the corruption caused by evil desires. Because we have this relationship, this foundation that is built upon Christ, we have the ability to escape the corruption. I've seen people coming down the aisle of the church, leaving the decaying society and coming into Christ. I've seen it in Arizona. I've seen it in Illinois. I've seen it in Texas. I've seen it in, in Bryan. I've seen it in, in College Station. I've seen it in Dallas. I've seen it in Baytown. I've seen it in Smithville. I've seen it in Waco. I've seen it in Illinois. I've seen it in Guatemala. I've seen it in Costa Rica. I've seen people giving up their old way of life and coming to faith in Jesus Christ and escaping the corruption caused by evil desires. I've seen it. But not only do we escape corruption, he also says we experience regeneration. He says to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption. What he means is that we can be a partaker of the divine nature. You can have a union with Jesus, and once you have that union with Jesus, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, and then you experience a new birth, and you're made into a brand new person. You're regenerated. You have that divine nature in you. I know what you're asking. How? How does this happen? That sounds like good news. How do I get it? He tells us in verse one. those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received faith as precious as ours. The key word there is received. Receive. Listen, you don't attain salvation. You don't merit salvation. You don't earn salvation. You don't work for salvation. But listen, here's the good news. It can be received. 
you can receive it as a gift from God by faith in Jesus Christ. So here's your choices this morning. You can choose to to live a life of corruption and be in bondage. Or you can choose life of a new birth and godliness. That's the choices that you can make. Will you build your foundation upon Jesus? Will you do that? Because if you want to build your foundation upon Jesus, in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the message that you've heard today. Building your faith upon the foundation of Jesus. Jeremy and the praise team are going to come and lead us. Give you an opportunity to think on this. This is where we come to that time of the invitation. It's up to you to respond. All I can do is share the message. It's up to you to respond. Listen to what I did not say today. I didn't talk about the church saving you. I, I hate to burst your bubble. There is no salvation in the Baptist church. There is no salvation in the Methodist church. There is no salvation in the Lutheran church. There is no salvation in a non-denominational church. Salvation is only found in Jesus. Period. Only in Him. Now once He saves you, He'll put you in a church. But salvation is found in Christ, in Christ alone. Would you stand with me? As I lead us in time of prayer, if you feel God speaking to your heart that you would like to know how to be saved, you'd like to know how to have a relationship with Jesus, we want to invite you to come as I lead us. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you for this time that you've given to us. Speak to our hearts, Father, this morning. We give this time for you. If there's someone, Lord, that needs a relationship with you, I pray, Father, that today will be the day you touch their hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Join with us as we sing.